0: Welcome to Men Talk on Plains FM 96.9, a playful search for understanding and appreciation of men. Your host is Ian Ferguson, coordinator of International Men's Day in New Zealand. Today I talk with Hugh Young. Hugh is a retired broadcaster and editor, and I feel absolutely no pressure whatsoever in interviewing him. <laughs> Hugh advocates against non consensual, non therapeutic genital cutting for all infants. He maintains a website called the Intactivism pages at circumstitions.com. And has presented four papers at the International Symposia on
1: Geni- Oh gosh. International Symposia on Genital Autonomy.
0: Oh, thank you. You rescued me. Um, Hugh is the New Zealand director of the Darbon Institute, formerly the Australasian Institute for Genital Integrity. So the first question for you, Hugh, is Under broadcasting regulations, do I need to tell everyone we're going to be talking about penises and medical procedures on the show today?
1: Well, we are. We are. And the worst word I'm likely to use is cock. Otherwise, they're going to be fairly obscure anatomical terms that I might have to explain.
0: All right. So, fair warning, everybody. (laughs) Now you know. So, Hugh, tell me a wee bit about
1: yourself and your background. Well, I grew up in Christchurch, so it sort of feels good to be back there in voice. And um, I escaped the knife myself almost by accident because um, my, uh, my, they came for my brother and my mother had to dig in her heels back then. This is during World War II. So um, I don't really have much of a story on that, except that I realised that cutting genitals was a bad thing quite early on. When uh, you know a playmate was cut, and my mother had to explain it to me. Mm. Once the internet came along, and sort of in the middle of the nineties, I found some kindred spirits and realised that this was a real issue. Uh, Basically, there is a worldwide movement against genital cutting, and I joined it and um, uh, have a fairly high profile in it. Uh, As you mentioned, we are against non-therapeutic. Non consented genital cutting of male, female, and intersex. And I, it was I who blew the whistle on the American Academy of Pediatrics when, in about uh, 2012, they wanted to change their policy on female cutting to allow a token ritual nick to baby girls, mm. medicalized. And, um, <sighs> the ironically named Bioethics Committee was trying to put one across the main committee by tucking the change in policy in, among other minor changes. And the chair of the AAP hadn't noticed and was in- endorsing their policy without realising the implications. So they trying to pull a fast one. Yes, the Bioethics Committee.
0: Straight. <laughs> <laughs> and we've, we've just... Um... Introduced a law in New Zealand completely banning um, those little nicks and cuts,
1: I think. I don't know if that's recent. In general, worldwide, the various laws against female cutting are comprehensive and no cutting at all is allowed. And there is no law at all anywhere yet against cutting males. The
0: main issue, I think, is, is about um, bodily autonomy. Like, people should be able to choose what to do with their own body and not have someone choose for them.
1: Right, right. And this should be obvious. Um, The thing is, we have this thing, uh, and especially in America, apparently, mothers sort of feel, my baby, my choice. And they've they've misappropriated my body, my choice from the feminists, uh, when the point is, it is the the owner of the body parts in question who gets to say, "My, my body, my choice. And... Babies can't give consent, but that doesn't mean you or anyone else has the right to consent for them. That means mm. they should be protected until they can give consent, which they will hardly ever do.
2: Mm.
0: Um, from my point of view, I'm not against adults um, doing cosmetic surgery on, on, <laughs> on their the. Nor jug. am
1: I. Nor am I.
0: Um, but it's the, it's the fact that um, infants and children can't
1: consent. Uh, yeah. Now, let's see. Where do we go from here? Um, it might be an idea to give you some idea of the history and at this point you could play my um, six and a half minute uh, epic poem The Rape of the Cock The Rape of the Cock or The Nerve-Rending Story a hundred million years ago, when sex was being invented, the mammals, looking for a way to keep themselves contented, evolved more copious penile skin, till every male was wearing a gliding sheath, a loose prepuce, a kind of rolling bearing. It kept their glanses moist and warm and sensitive and soft, and made their sex so easy, if they could have, they'd have laughed. But best of all, that folded tube was full of nerves for pleasure, and shot them into ecstasies that none of them could measure. And all was well for aeons till the human head grew large, and some were slaves beside the Nile, and others were in charge. Perhaps some jealous pharaoh who'd been born with not much tassel said cut them off. They cut because that was safer than to hassle, and kept on cutting even when that king was pyramided. The custom spread, though they had long forgotten why they did it. And still throughout the Middle East, though no one understands it, they say, but now with tongue in cheek, their jealous God demands it. And strange to tell, this craze befell the English-speaking nations, while Europe and the Eastern world disdain modifications. And even Jews, a few, refused to keep up the tradition. No God demanding cuts to putz's merits that position. But in the days of Honest Abe and Queen Victoria, cutting boys was thought to curb self-induced euphoria. So John H Kellogg, Cornflakes King, in manner calm and placid said, Cutting's good for naughty boys, for girls carbolic acid. The total in the whole world's less than 25%, and some are cut in surgeries, and some cut in a tent, and some are cut for ritual, and some are cut for shame. But when you cut the bullshit, domination is the game. Of course, no one would cut a child professing naked power. Instead, five hundred different silly reasons on us shower, excuses to reduce the male sex's pride and joy as cut ones take what they have lost and never ask the boy. To make him look the same as me, or different from the others. To make it bigger, make it smaller, make him like his brothers, to make him sexy make him chaste, or tell the twins apart. And when you shoot one reason down, a dozen others start. To save him from diseases, from the scourge of leprosy, from STD and UTI and also HIV, from prostatitis, hernia and hydrocephaly, from rupture and, of course, from homosexuality. And cutting them as babies makes sure none of them remember the pleasure without measure given by an intact member. Though men who lost their prepuces in adulthood would find that having sex without one was like going colour blind. Well, now the custom's faded out in England and Australia, And Kiwis and Canucks say is a failure. But still, one country where the foreskin's very seldom dangled Is the homeland of the brave and free, Whose banner is star spangled. For in the States, at market rates, The scalpel's still a flashing. A boy is born, his foreskin's shorn, the doctor rakes the cash-in, and meanwhile by the back door there's a lab assistant waiting to take the skin and grow it, hefty fees anticipating. And never mind that one boy's blind, and others end up dead, and many lose their frenulum, and some will lose their head, and all of them are scoured for life, and all lose some sensation. We've made them men, we've made them clean, discouraged masturbation and always it's presented as the parent's free decision. But let a mom's or dad's opinion come into collision with matrons, docs or in-laws, then they'll find they have no voice, as a none-too-subtle pressure makes a travesty of choice. "'They'll mock him in the locker room,' the hapless parents hear. In fact, these days, it's boys who are cut who'll have to face that fear. "'He must look like his father,' says his granddad, old and wise." Yet when Junior peeks at Daddy's, what he'll notice is its size. And strange to tell as through the boys the scalpels slice and whirl, those self-same people know that to incise a little girl is horrible and cruel and a breach of human dignity, and anyone who cuts them must be driven by malignity. But cutting boys is trivial, a snippy-snip, a surky, a normal thing that all boys get from Maine to Blaine to Albuquerque. While near at hand there grows a growl, a rising tide of anger from men who've found out what they've lost and want back all their hunger. All is not lost. At no great cost, but trouble worth a mention, you can produce a new prepuce by gentle constant tension, which lacks the nerves but still deserves careful consideration, a gentler way than surgery, more use than litigation. The doctors fear the lawsuits, just a few would make them poor. They fear the judgment summonses and bailiffs at the door, those gentlemen who ask them so politely, May I trouble you? I've come to seize your golf clubs and your yacht and BMW. So here's an operation done as often as one blinks that had its strange beginnings in the shadow of the Sphinx, and carries on for reasons neither sound, humane, nor valid. That story's told. I'll now unfold the moral of this ballad to cut a cock's a load of crock, no matter how they cut it. These words beware. Just sign down there. They'll try to scare you, but it would do your son a wondrous boon to treat them with derision. You'd dock his dick! My God, that's sick! To hell with circumcision! basically it arose in prehistoric times we don't know why but it was some kind of magical thing that for example uh, men saw that women bled and had the power over life and death so they wanted men to be able to, men to bleed and have that power too there's a suggestion egyptians thought that a a, a snake could shed its skin and come back to life, and so they thought this, that shedding the skin conferred immortality. There is in, in Africa, there is a distinct thread that um, you cut the uh, female principle, the foreskin, off the male, and you cut the male principle, the clitoris, off the female, and therefore you reinforce their proper sexes. It's, it's a mystery, the early be- earliest beginnings, but it's ultimately about power and control over sex. And then the Hebrews adopted it and added the story that God told them to. Although now I'm going to offend those who sincerely believe that. And then uh, the um, uh, Muslims adopted uh, had probably were al- already doing it, but and it's not in the Quran. Hmm. But um, there's one hadith that sa- says it should be done. Um, it, in in Islam, it's really about ritual cleanliness, preparing for the for the prayer. It was confined to those two groups mainly, although the the, the tribal, and we should also mention the um, the Polynesians. But, but in the nineteenth century, it was ad, widely adopted in the English speaking world as as punishment and to thwart uh, masturbation. Mm. Which um, they thought, they seriously thought was dangerous. There was also the whole anti sex Victorian attitude. And um, it doesn't, of course, prevent masturbation, but it does make it less pleasant. And so that's how it came to New Zealand. After the First World War, they thought it uh, protected against venereal diseases. They were terrified of venereal diseases. After the Second World War, they had the myth that. um, your son might have to go and fight in the desert and the desert sand would get under his skin and he would have to have it done then. And um, I wrote to uh, Manfred Rommel, the son of the desert fox, to to ask if they had done it in the Africa Corps, because the desert sand affected the Germans just as much as the New Zealanders. Mm. And he wrote back saying, no, they didn't. Or so far as he knew, they didn't. And it sounds like, there's not a solid reason
0: that people have stuck to over time. It's been this or that or the other thing.
1: Yes, yes. When we when the, we were first discussing it on the internet, I sort of started noticing there seemed to be far too many reasons for doing it. It was sort of getting absurd. I thought there seemed to be at least thirty. So I started collecting them, and I called them circumstitions. And the list now runs to something like six hundred and twenty-five. Every so often, I prune them and merge the similar ones, but it still keeps growing. Yeah, I did. I did see that on your website, and some of them are quite
0: ridiculous.
1: A, a lot. Of, well, they're, they're all faulty, um, and and some of them are absolutely absurd, and some of them contradict each other. Um, you know, it, it makes them more sexy. It makes them less sexy, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so in New Zealand, it rose to a peak in the 1950s and 60s and then it died away again. And we have to thank, I think it's Professor Green of uh, unfortunate experiment fame, who uh, he was the chair of the professorial board that managed National Women's Hospital, Mm. and he said it would not happen in National Women's Hospital or at least not happen at public expense. Right, yes. Uh, Private doctors could come in and and do it and the mothers would have to pay. Mm. And the other thing was they adopted a policy of sleeping dogs. That is, they didn't talk about it. They didn't offer it. Basically, they said, we're not doing that anymore and um so uh, by the end of the century it was virtually over in new zealand except among polynesians or pacifica uh, muslims and jews and the, the curious fact about the uh, the pacifica is that the traditional practice was much less severe than actual circumcision it was a dorsal slit which actually removes no tissue and damages only a small part, fraction of the nerves
0: do you have any idea how many uh, uh, circumcisions are being done uh, each year? A while ago, I, I tried to find out, and the figure I came up with was, was 3,000 a year, but that was based on, on uh, figures from Southern Cross who get paid to do it. But
1: you're, you're not far wrong because I've worked out the figure based on the number of Muslims, Jews and Pacifica in New Zealand and that's about about right. But it's not... um, There are a a few clinics scattered around the country that do it for those small small, um, populations and uh, the Jews do it ceremonially and I believe a doctor is flown in from Sydney... Several times a year for that purpose, but, but that, we're talking there about only about maybe thirty babies a year in New Zealand. Mm. But uh, among all these populations, it may well be going down. Certainly, among Jews in Europe, it is way down. In general, people tend to follow the the mainstream of the population. The Main Western country where it is still widespread is the United States of America, and that has a lot to do with their for-profit health system. Yes, yes.
0: I've got a wee story for you. Um, through a uh, interesting series of events, I ended up being a photographer for a Hens Night. <laughs> so there I am, the only the only guy there with the, uh, the bride and the bridesmaids and um, they were playing past the parcel and they'd unwrap a layer of the parcel and there'd be this little um, joke or question or something in that layer that they'd read out and have a good laugh about it and they were having fun and, and one, of the, one of the questions was, what is the useless piece of skin at the end of the penis called? And and they and they were saying, is, "Is is that the foreskin?" And the woman holding the question was going, "No, that's not the that's not the answer." And they were all confused. And after a bit of silence, I piped up and said, "It's the man." So that was all very amusing because uh, it took me to answer that question for them. Um, but that brings us on to the question of the foreskin and, and what it's for, what it does. Um, so perhaps you could uh, tell us the wonders of the
1: foreskin. <laughs> OK, well, uh, this is where I could play my my short video. The foreskin is not just skin, 15 square inches of it, including the thin red inner mucosa, like the skin of the lips, but also a thin layer of muscle that automatically keeps it snug. Arteries and veins, and some tens of thousands of nerves, specialized like those of the lips. Imagine kissing without lips, conferring not just sensitivity, but a symphony of sensation, feedback, and hence control. It's not just skin, it, and it's not distinct from the rest of the penis. It is actually a sensory organ. It is, uh, consists of skin. There's a thin layer of involuntary muscle, which keeps it snug against the glands, keeps, keeps the opening tight at the front. And, um, blood vessels, uh, arteries and veins, and then there's thousands of nerve endings. They're specialized, they're called Meissner's corpuscles, and they're concentrated in a ring around the inside near the tip and across the little band underneath, which is called the frenulum. And that frenulum is the remnant that is left after genital cutting. I don't use the C word, by the way, if I can avoid it, because it's got all sorts of baggage associated with purity and that kind of thing. And if and nobody can di- dispute that it's genital cutting, I, I don't use the, use the mutilation word either, um, but it's genital cutting. And it, it's, you know, when you look at it from that point of view, um, ethically, it's all one thing. You know, severity wi- rages, rages widely, but it's when it's not consented, the, the ethical issue is one. So, so, so in a cut man, the, the frenulum is just is a remnant that is left, or it may not be. Some doctors like to take away the frenulum too. What the actual outcome is varies widely according to factors that have nothing to do with, with the particular boy, and the doctor may not even know what the damage he's doing. Because in, in the United States especially, but it's spread across the world, from textbooks, they leave the foreskin out. <laughs> I, have a, I have a page about that. Uh, there's circumcisions.com. There, is, there are sex manuals that don't mention the foreskin. There are, you know, <laughs> it does seem rather strange. Yeah, and I mean, um, in, in, the, in the one of the, the first early Superman movie, the baby Superman is already circumcised when he comes off the rocket. <laughs> 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 well, to be fair, Superman is an alien.
0: If he, he comes from another planet and had that gives him his superpowers, and
1: so <laughs> well, but but then the question is, how did you, how did they get it off? Yes, well, he's the man of steel. Remember, oh, <laughs> <Well>, that's
2: true. <laughs>
0: Well, um, perhaps that would be a, a sidetrack for
1: another show. We
0: can we can speculate on
1: <laughs> <laughs> on oh. madness. <laughs> oh, oh well, you can speculate on the madness of genital cutting till the car, literally till the cars come home. I mean, um, I, I did a, one of my presentations was about um, uh, infant male genital cutting in popular culture and American TV shows barely there's almost invariably a show, a, a reference, sometimes a whole episode devoted. Yeah. I teased out the main themes are it's inevitable that men are cut unless yeah. unless they want to marry a Jewish girl. Then they're not and they have to be and then there's drama about about that. The, then the other one go, going very thoroughly through American TV is the foreskin is disgusting. It's filthy. There's one in which a woman learns that a particular man is, is intact, and she goes, ew, and throws his underpants across the room, and they've just been washed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing to note about the foreskin, of course, is that it confer- th- those thousands of nerves confer a unique sensations, which... A, a cut man a man literally can cannot imagine because the part of the brain that was waiting for the signals from the foreskin probably gets colonised by nerves from close parts of the penis, but they may come from nerves that were set up to register pain. It, it means that a, a cut man's sexuality may have been modified in ways that are difficult to comprehend and vary, again, vary from child to child. It's a complicated subject, and we're getting right into the physiology of sexuality, um, mm. but it, it's very unpredictable. I have hosts of, of uh, quotes from cut men who say, uh, you know, if I, if I felt any more, you know, I'd, not, I'd never leave the house, I, I'd ejaculate at the dinner table. And they, they think this is normal. Mm. Uh, mm. And in fact, the point about these thousands of Meissner corpuscles is that as well as conferring what has been called uh, a symphony of sensation, uh, hmm. they also provide more feedback, allowing an intact man a much better better control than a cut man. And the idea that uh, cutting a, a baby enables a man to last longer is, is nonsense.
0: Uh, it seems a little bit ridiculous, <laughs> That's another one of those reasons on your list, I suppose. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, the other thing I think to note about at this point is that genital cutting is anomalous. In, within it, it doesn't really belong in medicine w- without a diagnosis or symptoms, mm. uh, and it doesn't belong in a, in a religion of peace. It doesn't belong in a very rational religion like Judaism, uh, which has um, uh, mitzvot, the good deeds against causing harm, causing pain, cutting the body, marking the body, mm. um, with this one exception. Um Islam, you know the God, the compassionate, the merciful, and yet uh, he, he, he allows this this or commands this this uncompassionate and merciless thing. Mm. a lot of Americans especially think it has something to do with Christianity because Jesus was circumcised, and it's in the Bible. but in fact, of course Jesus reportedly was also crucified, <laughs> and nobody thinks about crucifying their baby <laughs> no. um, to, to make him more like Jesus. When it's in the Bible, it's all in the Old Testament. And the mm-hmm. New Testament, Paul, goes on quite a bit because he was trying to convert Gentiles and he had to con- convince the, uh, the Jewish converts back in Jerusalem that the Greeks he was trying to convert didn't have to turn into Jews before they could become Christians. So they didn't need to be cut. Right, yes, yes. And so it is. it has no part of Christianity, but in America it's been grafted back onto Christianity. When you're talking it, it feels
0: like we're going through like an an archaeological site and looking at all these old.
1: um When I grew up, a long time ago, it it was forbidden to absolutely to mention or even to refer almost indirectly. Uh, to, to anything sexual, mm. I mean, you know, women would faint. Well, not quite, but that was the, you know, and and in fact, it was rather fun to go back to some of those old classic mu- movies and read between the lines and all the stuff <laughs> they 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 sli- slipped in that it was all about sex, but they mm. never said so. <laughs> well, that silence is what enables it to carry on, mm. because and and of course they try and silence people like me. I mean, I get the. Uh, uh, you're obsessed well as you can see the topic itself Well, if you if you're not worried about about, um, about what people might think it, it the ramifications are quite fascinating right. um, and, and, and they also say, you know, they sort of hint that I'm a pedophile. But in fact, I want nothing at all to be done to children's genitals. I want them to be left alone. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't want to have to care whether a, a baby is, is cut because, but, but the, my only concern is he's a future man. Mm, yeah, yes. Part, part of the thinking of cutting babies is to make it easier to care for the baby. Well, that's all very well, but he's not going to be a baby forever. The
0: foreskin has
1: some functions in in purpose. Um, Well, I I, I never talk about purpose in biology. Things have functions. Right. Good Uh, point. A a purpose requires a a mind to have an intention. But um, the foreskin has a number of functions, Uh, and I list them, and I got up to 16. Well, I, I borrowed somebody else's list. But, I mean... Uh, it protects the glands and keeps it uh, you know uh, moist and and smooth and sensitive um, uh, but the way it unrolls is unique, and the way it t- turns itself inside out and and b- puts the nerves which were on the inside on the outside mm. and then in intercourse, now here we're getting into our broadcasting standard things, but in intercourse uh, it rolls back and forth and unrolls and this stimulates those nerves mm. and they also stimulate the partner so mm. it's worth, worth mentioning, I mean I, I say it's a natural French tickler <laughs> <laughs> and right. you, might, you, you might say the, the glands are just the basic dildo Right <laughs> okay. We might cut we might that one out You reckon?
0: <laughs> I don't know I, I, so
1: <laughs> Consul- consult with somebody. I mean, I mean, who's your audience? So, uh, if, uh, yeah, if they're over eighteen, I think they can withstand the word dildo. <laughs> oh, fair, fair enough.
0: <laughs> Maybe I'm a little prudish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we all are. I mean, it, it, it's in the it's in the air. Uh, you know, I mean, I have to have to constantly. I mean, I've I've been doing this for some twenty five years or more, and and um, I've sort of I've worn down a lot of my resistances. Yes,
0: I, I remember <laughs> when I was in um, in high school, and we were learning about the um, the digestive system, and our teacher at the beginning of the. The the series of classes made us all stay, go through all of the words like poop and shit and just to get it out of our system because um, because we'd all you know we, we were I don't know it's fourteen year olds yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we had to, all of the words were um, you know would would create a reaction so we needed to get all of the words out. At yes. the beginning of the li- the lesson and not
1: during the lesson. Yes, I, w- I wish we could do that with this topic too. But, uh, I, mean, I mean, there are so many nicknames for the foreskin. My favourite is Tickle Tackle. <laughs> That's from the film He's uh, Diseased. Oh, okay. Uh,
0: wow, well, <laughs> news to me. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of functions of the foreskin... I recall a study where they found that women whose partners were intact had more orgasms. But uh, that, that's a vague recollection.
1: Right. But um, so,
0: so, as a general question, um, is it good for the man and the woman?
1: Yes. Yes. And indeed, for for the partner, I mean, uh, it's for the for the partner, whatever their sex may be.
0: Right. Yes. Of course.
1: <laughs> oh, we, we, we could. I could. We could touch on on uh, sex variant people, um, because uh, quite early on. Uh, I, uh, encountered Marnie Mitchell, who founded the intersex movement in New Zealand. And I've, um, I've met other intersex people in, at the symposia. Um, uh, and, um, they are, I mean, the whole, the whole business of cutting children's genitals to make them conform to somebody's idea of what their assigned mm. sex should look like, um, it, it suffers from all these, um, Human rights issues as well. Yes. Um, but, um, a point to make there is that if male genital cutting is a good thing and female genital cutting is a bad thing, as so many people think, then is intersex cutting good or bad? The intactivist movement, as we call ourselves, we, we take that seriously. Every born person has a, has a right to the, um, undisturbed ownership is the legal term, of all of their body and, and, and no, nothing, nothing should be cut off unless it absolutely has to be. Uh, or, or if it'll grow back. I mean, people come back and say, oh, uh, but we cut the baby's hair, we cut the baby's nails. Well, of course they mm-hmm. grow back. Or we yes. pierce the baby's ears. Well, I don't actually think you should pierce the baby's ears. No. <laughs> but, but piercing the ears removes no tissue and is largely reversible. Yeah, I yes. had an ear-pierced. And uh, then I I gave it up, and um, it closed without a trace. Mm.
0: So it's it's not it's not a it's not a permanent surgery, no, (laughs) no (laughs) piercing or hair cutting or nail cutting. It's not permanent. So the choice isn't taken away from you know if 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 you if you sneak up on me and cut my hair while I'm asleep, um, that that's (laughs) that's not a nice thing to do. But um, it's not permanent. Um, I'm not going to be any more bald than I am now <laughs> in a few weeks.
1: I've got a page of bad analogies and people say, oh, it's, you know, we choose the child's school, we choose the child's clothes, we choose, mm. um, we, we make the child eat certain things or breastfeeding or bottle feeding, but, you no, know, the child has to eat something. The, the child, if the child doesn't like what they were fed as a child, they can grow up and they can choose to eat something else. Mm. Um. And and you can throw off your religious teaching. You can, I mean, baptism wipes off with a paper towel, and yet they make that comparison. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's yes. Um, people
0: suggest that uh, removing the foreskin has has medical benefit, um, and and claim that the the risk of the surgery is. Um, balanced by the, the benefits, um, oh, <laughs> what what
1: what can you tell me about that? Okay, well, there are among the among the six hundred bad reasons, there are a variety of medical claims, and virtually all of them involve rare conditions or of late onset or um readily preventable by other means or readily treated as and when they occur. Mm. Um, and I could go into them one by one, but I mean, for example, about one in 100 babies has a urinary tract infection and the reduction is, by the, the best estimates, it's uh, said to be reduced tenfold but so it goes from one in a hundred to one in a thousand, which sounds impressive when you except when you realise that you're cutting um, 991 babies in vain for the sake of the nine who um, will get one, and the one cut one who will get get them anyway. <laughs> so, uh, most people. Don't get any benefit from from it. Absolutely. And then we should start on the harms and risks. The risks go all the way to death. We don't have any figures for the number of deaths. Mm. It has been estimated at well over 100 in the United States every year. One common one among the deaths is bleeding. Mm. Uh, There is an artery near the intended wound site. And a baby's body only contains about 350 millilitres of blood. That's about a, a can of uh, fizzy mm. drink. Um, and they can only afford to lose about 10% of that, or about two tablespoons, before they're in trouble, in danger. It's nothing. And and your modern um, gel-filled uh, nappies can easily soak that up, and it's not noticed. Oh, jeepers. Uh, and then the baby slips away. In the, in the night, and it's an, just another t- cot death tragedy, mm. and the newborns are so fragile anyway that it's very easy to, to write them off. Mm. And um, that, that's, that's the worst-case scenario, but, but uh, there are also the inevitable harms that I've mentioned, the loss of all that, all that function, and then a baby's penis is tiny, and a, uh, a tiny mistake by, mm. in the cutting is magnified when he grows up and the, the, um, there are un, untold uh, pictures of of horrid botches and until uh, they get to see a lot of others, they may not realize that uh, that that theirs is, has anything to matter with it mm. or, or how it was caused. Mm. Mm. They may think they were born that way. the risks, the harms, and the human right violation those are, those are the main reasons against it and the American Academy of Pediatrics in its twenty Twelve policy uh, said that the, the benefits are not sufficient to recommend it, but the benefits outweigh the risks. But they never weighed the risks because they couldn't, because they didn't have any figures yes. For, yes. The, for all the risks. The American Academy of Pediatrics is, is there's, there's a court case in New Jersey going on at the moment where the, someone who was cut uh, with inadequate permission is taking the AAP to court uh, uh, for fraud hmm. for its policy.
0: Because they're stating something as fact when they didn't have the evidence to... Yes, 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 and I hope they win.
1: One, one thing also, these medical benefits, they all came afterwards. As you, as you mentioned, they come and go, one takes the, takes the place of another. Um, but they were all after the fact, Hmm. It was already customary. I mean, the latest one is HIV. Well, of course, nobody had heard of HIV before 1981, and yet, and yet, cutting was rampant before then.
0: If we suddenly had amnesia and had to reinvent medicine, no, no, no one would,
1: <laughs> no one would. No say, one in their right mind would would invent infant male genital cutting.
0: But speaking of HIV, um, that that's a ridiculous reason to to. to to cut an an infant or a child because they're not going to be having sex. You can wait until the person's an adult um,
1: for those kinds of things. This is a whole story. um, But but the story is three not-quite-independent groups did experiments in um, Orange Farm, South Africa, Rakai, Uganda, and Kisimu in Kenya on cutting, uh, one large group of men and leaving another group, large group intact and waiting for two years and then seeing which of them got HIV. And at the end of it, they found that a very small number had, um, HIV of the, of the cut men had HIV and a slightly more of the intact men had HIV. And they concluded that cutting them had protected them. But the, in the nature of the experiment, they couldn't treat the two groups identically and the uh, the the cut men got far more attention and right. and were told not to have intercourse after their operations which the intake men were not Ah talk- uh, yes but but also the um, the dropout rate uh, was much higher than the number of men found to have hiv and we don't know what the the uh, HIV rate was among the men who dropped out, and the men would drop out for different reasons. Mm. The cut men would drop out because they had HIV, and oh, well, a lot of good that. Did. Yeah. I'm not going back. And the the intact men would say, "Oh well, uh, I don't think I want to be cut now because I didn't I didn't get HIV without being cut. So why should I get cut?" <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but on the basis of that. They uh, enlisted the WHO and PEPFAR and Bill and Belinda Gates and Hillary Clinton, and they've cut 23 million Amer- uh, African men in the hope of preventing HIV. And the, the claim is only that it reduces transmission from women to men, whereas transmission from men to women is much. Worse, and <laughs> oh. and may be increased by the cutting. Oh dear! Uh, one one experiment, one one of the sub study of that study found that the more more of the of the female partners of the cut men had HIV afterwards than than of the intact men. Um, so a paper has recently come out about this, and its title is quite telling. It's called "A New Tuskegee." Tuskegee was that horrible experiment in America where they let black men suffer from syphilis without treating them for years and years and years, and many died. And um, so this is being accused of being the same kind of thing. The, the ethical standards of these experiments were shocking. Thanks, Hugh. I think it's time we, we take a break. I've been
2: waiting on a war since I was young Since I was a little boy with the toy gun Never really wanted to be number one. Just wanted to love everyone. Isn't I was young Since I was a little boy with a toy gun is a my
0: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Men Talk on Plains FM 96.9. Today, I talk with Hugh Young. Hugh advocates against non-consensual, non-therapeutic genital cutting for all infants.
1: I I had a formal thing that I that I read at a debate once. I'll read it to you if you like. I mean, this was a debate uh, in 2012 at the law school. Uh, and my opponent was a, a Jewish professor of religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he was pleased with me because there were some high-profile Jews in the audience. This was at the time of the German uh, issue where they, uh, Germany was proposing to outlaw genital cutting because a little Muslim boy had suffered serious consequences. And oh, more recently... Um, uh, th- this could go on, on, on into your program. Um, in Denmark, there has been a proposal to outlaw infant male genital cutting, and it has got widespread popular support. Mm. There's been a, a, a petition signed by a thousand doctors, but there has become pressure from the United States and Israel. Right. And this has apparently been sufficient to turn the tide. It was going to create international incidents if they did that. Oh, gosh. Uh, I've got two versions, one for the Jewish and one for the medical. I'll read you the Jewish one. Uh, Well, it's, No matter how ancient, no matter how beautiful the ceremony around it, no matter how much people have suffered for it, no matter how much it is perceived as binding people to their ancestors, no matter how divinely commanded... What is happening at the centre of this is that a baby is held down and part of his or her genitals are cut off, and they stay cut off for the rest of that person's life, whether he or she likes it or not. More and more are saying they don't like it. Sooner or later, we, the human species, will rise above the wish to cut parts off babies' genitals, and it might as well be sooner. Why not now?
0: Uh, Hugh, we've got the questions that we ask everybody. The first one is, what do you like about men?
1: Well, uh, I should mention that I'm an old gay man, and so what I like about men is not necessarily what everybody else (laughs) likes about men. But I think most straight men can appreciate the sculptural sculptural beauty of the masculine body.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, you know, what the Greeks liked and what the Renaissance artists liked, what Michelangelo liked. The male body in motion, uh, I think, is a lot of the appeal of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, the other thing I would like to say is something I like about men is when I see them uh, letting their children teach them how to be playful. Mm. Interesting. Because um, when I grew up, men were not allowed to be playful. I mean, it was grim. I mean, it was, it was the Second World War had, had sort of put a castle all over things. The Korean War was going on, and we had the, the waterfront lockout, and, and then along came Vietnam. And it was really really the 60s, the hippies, the Beatles, Woodstock, mm. the summer of love um, taught, uh, taught people that men could be playful and colourful. Not
0: just the um, disciplinarian of the, of the family. You wait till your father comes home. yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and nowadays it's, I can't wait for my father to come home.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and in a way, this is, is sex stereotyping, but uh, mothers have a much more utilitarian approach to the children. They've sort of got to keep keep them alive, really. Mm. And, and, and um, mm. in, in, in our society, however liberated we may be and however shared the roles may be, I think that aspect of fatherhood is something that sets sets men apart.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I watched a video of a father and son playing baseball, or practising baseball, and the, the son hit a home run for the first time. And the dad was just overjoyed and <laughs> jumping up and down, watching his son run round the bases. And when, when the son got back, to home base, he swept him up in his arms and hugged him and swung him around, and it was
1: just... <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds really good, and so different from the shouting at them from the sidelines to be more manly, not to be a wimp, not to be a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was, I mean, and as you said, there's, there's something
0: beautiful, and um, I, I don't really have the words for it, but I, I, can, I definitely appreciate the, the father-child interaction
1: um, that you're talking about. I learned this morning that Cambridge has a professor of play. His chair is funded by Lego. So he's the Lego <laughs> professor of play <laughs> and he, <laughs> and and he was talking about this this, this kind of thing that the, the um the parents interaction with the children, the, the play, I mean it it's it's an informal learning mm. experience for the child, but it really ought to be an informal learning experience for the parents too.
0: Yes, yes. Excellent. Or right. The other question that, that I ask everyone is if you had a magic wish to make the world a better place, what would you wish for? Can't wish for more wishes.
1: <laughs> well, there have been untold um, morality stories about, about the unintended consequences of getting what mm. you want. <laughs> and, I mean, there's sort of a lot of fairy tales. And and uh, I think it was H.G. Wells had a story about a man who thought it would be a good, would be a good idea to get rid of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh all friction, you yes, know. yes but um so, so i so i'm I'm very disinclined to do any any button pushing, you would think it would be fairly simple to push a button and stop people from wanting to cut babies' genitals. Mm. But th- there might be unintended consequences I haven't thought of. There are, there's uh, issues of how, how the cutting fits into the culture. Uh, mm. but, and I'd want the cutting to stop, but the best thing is for it to stop by the people who do it mm. changing in their minds about doing it. And that is happening. Um, there is a... Um, I'm involved with a website, with the technical side of a website called Brit Shalom Info which puts Jewish parents in touch with rabbis and other celebrants who will name the baby without cutting him. Mm. And there, I have seen signs of a small but growing intactivist Islamic movement, mm. and um, this doctors opposed to circumcision, you, you know. Uh, the other thing I thought, if I could push a button, mm. <laughs> this is more like an invention, but it seems so obvious, mm. Velcro flies. <laughs> Velcro flies. Oh no, zips. No Zip, zips.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> you don't want to unintentionally cut yourself. <laughs>
1: well, well, I mean, the, this is one of the one of the six hundred and twenty five excuses for cutting cutting babies <laughs> in case he gets caught in a zipper. Well, what you do then is you sacrifice the zipper. You don't sacrifice it. Yes,
0: I, I have to say, I did. I did own a pair of pants with a button fly. Which gets rid of the zip, but you have to spend. I mean, zip is just when and you're done. And buttons is like, I think <laughs> there are four buttons and fiddling and ah. Uh, well, gosh. buttons
1: used to be the norm, but but I mean, um, velcro, I mean, you'd think they were made for each other. Mm. Velcro flies, somebody do it. <laughs> All right, Hugh. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you very much for having me. And um, I, I only hope that among the the few people who still uh, cut, cut babies in New Zealand, that this has at least given them food for thought. Hmm. <laughs>